Welcome to Living Water, the teaching ministry of Jacksonville Presbyterian Church. This week, Pastor Richard Evans continues our series, Summer in the Psalms, with Seeking and Finding. In this message from Psalm 70, Pastor Richard emphasizes our need to turn to God first when life's inevitable troubles arise. Just as the people of Israel preferred an earthly king as leader, we too often seek help in all the wrong places. But if we're sincere and specific in our prayers, we receive something no worldly source can provide, rejoicing, gladness, and salvation. Now, Living Water. While you're still standing, if you grab a Bible, if you don't have one of your own, just grab one of the blue Bibles that are around the room. Again, these are not placeholders for people on the end of the rows. They're for you to use. If you turn right almost exactly to the middle, page 572, we're going to be looking at Psalm 70. Make haste, O God, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Let them be put to shame and confusion who seek my life. Let them be turned back and brought to dishonour who delight in my hurt. Let them turn back because of their shame who say, Aha, aha. May all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say evermore, God is great, but I am poor and needy. Hasten to me, O God. You are my help and my deliverer. O Lord, do not delay. May God add his blessing and his understanding to the reading of his holy word. Please be seated and let us pray. Father, we thank you and praise you once more for your word, which is just as true as the day that David breathed those words under your direction. Lord, we would pray that you would direct our hearts, our thoughts, our feelings, our emotions, everything as we approach your word. The Holy Spirit, you will open it to us and we will learn afresh and anew of God's love for us. This and more we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this week we continue our summer in the Psalms. How many of you have been reading along? We're halfway. Even though we're on Psalm 70 today, hopefully you read Psalm 70 during the week. We're past Psalm 75 in our reading, so with 150 Psalms, we're over halfway. But hopefully, as you read Psalm 70, perhaps some of you will think, I've read this before. And the reason is because it's almost identical to the second half of Psalm 40. So close, in fact, that many scholars, when you're reading commentaries and you get to Psalm 70, it says, see Psalm 40 which is awfully helpful when you're trying to preach a message on Psalm 70. In fact, some go as far as saying that when they were putting Psalms together originally, this got detached from Psalm 40. And so it's kind of a repeat and maybe even a mistake. Well, I don't think it's a mistake. I don't think repetition is a mistake because we're forgetful. We need things repeating. And actually, there's a lot we can learn from this particular Psalm today. The great church reformer Martin Luther had this to say specifically about Psalm 70. This prayer is the shield, spear, thunderbolt and defence against every attack of fear, presumption and lukewarmness. Well, with a description like that from Luther, we would ignore this psalm at our peril. Luther identified with David's urgency in prayer in the urgency of David's situation. And it's a lesson for all of us, I believe, that when there is time, absolutely, in prayer, we need to reflect, we need to give God praise, we need to confess our sin, we need to 
pray for other people in our thanksgiving and supplication. But there's always those moments of urgency when a short, to the point, arrow prayer is just as necessary, just as needed and just as heard by God. And I would contend that this short and powerful prayer of David really has a lot to say to us about where our help comes from, where we should be looking and seeking and where we find our help. Hence the title of the message today, Seeking and Finding. How many of you as a child played hide and seek? Okay, me too. We would play out in the street. And if I was on it, as we called it for the person who was doing the seeking, if I was on it, I knew there were three places to look immediately. There was a bus always parked on the corner of the street, which somebody invariably would hide underneath where the spare tire was supposed to go. There was behind the betting shop wall, right? A bookies, okay, ask me later if you don't know what that is, where people go to bet on horses, right? Okay, there was a wall you could get over the other side and in the local shop. Right? And if people weren't there, they weren't going to be anywhere. That's where they were hiding. And we know there is one place to look for help, right? That place is through our Heavenly Father, through the name of Jesus Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. But the thing is, we don't always look there first, do we? That's not our immediate thought, perhaps. And today I wanted us to be reminded that it needs to be at all times. Verse 1. Make haste, O God, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. David's in trouble again. Anybody surprised? No. Just like us, he's forever getting into some sort of mischief, in some sort of trouble. Sometimes his own fault, sometimes other people's. And it reminded me that that happens for us as well. You know, once you find God, doesn't mean all your problems are over, everything's solved, right? far from it think of Peter Peter the apostle Peter well before the resurrection Peter was a little bit like a pendulum you know he swung from side to side one minute yeah I'm there for you Jesus who 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 but he gets out of the boat doesn't he the famous incident of getting out of the boat to walk to Jesus on the water because Jesus is walking out to them on the water and Peter's like hey, if that's you Jesus let me do that gets one step two steps which is more than any of us would probably get right and then what happens? He sinks. He sinks because he looks to everything that's around him instead of looking to Jesus. So the truth of the matter is saved once, rescued many, many times. Now, for those of you who were here last week, you'll remember that later in David's life, he learns the, the lesson of God's speed. In other words, throughout his life, in all the craziness, he gets to the point where he realises he's got to rely on God's timing and not his own timing but even when he's learned that lesson he doesn't forget this urgency that he can turn to God and God is there for him and so what David does next is important as well he actually gives the specific need and we need to in all of our prayers be specific verse the beginning of verse two let them be put to shame and confusion who seek my life David prays for his enemies, just as we need to pray for our enemies. Now, he begins, naturally enough, by asking for them to be turned to confusion and to shame, those who are seeking his life. These are not people that just mildly disagree with him. 
These are not people that, you know, maybe he upset once. These are people that are seeking to kill him. And yet he prays for them. And David is looking in the right place for his help. But the reality is that the people who are seeking to kill him are not looking in the right place at all. And we see that today as well in seeking and finding. Many are looking in the wrong direction not seeking real solutions, not seeking salvation. Now, at the time, the people, remember, it was the people who asked for a king in the first place, and their reasoning behind that was they wanted to be like the other nations. They wanted to replace God, really, as their leader. God was their leader. They wanted an earthly king to be their leader. And so they ended up with Saul, a man of their choosing. Now they've ended up with David, a man of, David, uh, a man of God's choosing. And yet they still want a word in it. And so they've chased David out. They want to replace him with somebody who perhaps is going to think their way, do the things they want to be done. And so we still need to be asking ourselves, who are we seeking and finding? Who do we want to put in charge in our lives? Is it God, first and foremost, or is it something or someone else? Even good things and good people. Is it friends? Is it family? Is it work? Is it addictions? David's prayer here is really a call to us to refocus on the reality of our relationship with God being the most important relationship in our lives. If you know Jesus as Saviour, then today turn to him even more. If this is new to you, then see God's heart for you in this psalm, in his word, in communion as we come to the table later. Because Jesus, God the Son, is the answer, ultimate answer to David's prayer here in Psalm 70. Now there's more to David's prayer for his enemies than just wanting relief from his immediate situation. Not just that he wants their plans to fail naturally enough, he's actually going to pray for their well-being as we see as verse 2 continues into verse 3. Let them be turned back and brought to dishonour who delight in my hurt. Let them turn back because of their shame who say, aha, aha. Now at first glance, and yes, absolutely rightly, when, when David said, let them be turned back, it's turned back away from him, away from their plan. But David is also referring to them being turned back toward God. It's not a matter of just being turned away from evil. It's about being turned back to good. And our prayers for anyone, especially for our enemies, needs to ultimately be for reconciliation with God. And it finds its ultimate expression in the prayer of Jesus from the cross. As people were mocking him, they were saying, aha, aha, as they were literally physically killing him. What does he say? He says, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. Jesus was praying for them to be turned back to God, to be turned to him for the first time, that out of his death and then his resurrection, salvation was going to come. So our aim for our prayers for our enemies is not their destruction, as tempting as that is at times. 
but that they may too come to an understanding of the love of Christ for them in their lives. David Wilson writes this, our desire to see our enemies confounded should be really be like this, to see them confronted with their sin in the face of our right actions and to bring them to a recognition of their sin. Now, Jesus certainly had something to say very clearly on this subject of praying for our enemies. In Matthew 5, 43 to 47, we read this. Matthew 5, 43 to 47. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbour and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. Our action, our desire for our sins to be forgiven means that we need to have that same desire for others to be forgiven as well that we and, uh, and everyone will seek not what we are currently seeking to fill our hearts, but that we would seek and find God filling our hearts. And yes, we need to build each other up within the faith. As brothers and sisters in Christ, as a fellowship of believers, but also we are called to share that hope with those around us who are not of the faith currently. God is calling first and foremost into our lives. The action begins with him. Think for a moment how God sought you. How did God find you? How is he finding you? How is he meeting you now? Is it through, very often it's through the actions of a believer. Somebody following the Great Commission to make disciples. And we can do this. We can do this not only with our enemies, we can do this with our friends as well. Verse four, may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say evermore, God is great. We see that David prays for other believers. He prays for those who are seeking and finding their heavenly father. So as I said earlier, seeking and finding isn't a one-time action. Literally, the verse, in verse 4, the word here is to inquire of, to inquire of. Seek wisdom. So basically what we're told is inquiring of God is better than inquiring of Google or Wikipedia. Whereas they might bring information, God brings salvation. And also brings us to a place of rejoicing and being glad. Are you glad? Now, I do not mean by that happy, happy, joy, joy all the time, because quite frankly, anybody got that? Okay, no hands. We have that in spurts. We have that in pieces, absolutely. But we also have gladness and joy amidst the trials and the tribulations of this life. In fact, seeking and finding God is what makes life bearable on occasions. What we're really saying in this context, in any context, is seeking and finding God is all about his glory 
not our glory. After all, David's example shows us that he's not asking for anything for himself that he doesn't want for other people as well. Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 1, 3 to 7. 2 Corinthians 1, 3 through 7. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's suffering, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. We are made to need, support and pray for each other, especially in times of urgent crisis. And David goes on to model here for us how to pray even in the midst of trial. A number of my friends will text or email or call and ask me to pray for them. How many of you do that? How many of you text or call somebody and say, hey, can you pray for me? Okay, there's a few more of you because you've done it to me. The great thing is when somebody does that, they also ask how they can pray for me. I still remember as a young minister, almost 20 years ago, um, I went to visit one of our elders who was dying in hospital and I, as always, would pray, uh, pray with whoever I was visiting. And almost before I could get to the amen of my prayer, Trevor, in his weakened state, prayed for me. That prayer stays with me. It's important when we ask for prayer that we also ask how we can be praying for someone else as well. So as those who love God's salvation, are seeking and finding, must also include us saying, as David says here, the Lord is great. Or also it can be translated, let God be exalted. Remembering we're called into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, not just for us, but as he works out salvation for those around us as well. This is why we are to say, let God be exalted. The Hebrew there is Gildal and can even be translated magnify, to make large. It's a story of a little girl who said, if God is as big as you say and he lives in my heart, Shouldn't he be poking out? (laughs) Brings us to the final verse, verse five. But I am poor and needy. Hasten to me, O God. You are my help and my deliverer. O Lord, do not delay. Very Presbyterian. Got three points out of this last verse, but I promise it won't take long. This verse really says something about recognising Recognition. It says we, we are to recognise who we are, who God is, and our dependence on God. Okay, Who we are, who God is, and our dependence on God. David is a king at the time of writing this. He has a palace. He's one of the richest, if not the richest people on earth. 
Even though he's not in his palace right now, he's running away, he's hiding, all that kind of thing, threat of death. He's still the king. And yet he recognises his need, that he is poor and needy. And he will still feel poor and needy when he's back in his palace amidst all the treasure you can ever imagine. And we need to recognise how poor and needy we are in spirit. That we need God in our lives. Because our relationship with him is worth more than all the silver and gold in the world. David knows this from his past experience. Because it's much more than knowing about God. David knows God. He knows that God has delivered him in the past, that he will deliver him in the future. Not always in the way he thinks either. But knowing about God and knowing God are two different things. And in our world today, knowing even about God is something that's sadly lacking. Jay Leno once asked his uh, audience, name one of the Ten Commandments. A hand quickly went up and the answer came, God helps those who help themselves. In case you're wondering, that is not one of the Ten Commandments and in fact is not in the Bible. He then asked another, name one of the apostles. Not a single answer. This went on for a while with similar kind of questions until he gave up and said, name the four Beatles. Everybody knew. Unless, of course, you've seen the movie yesterday, okay? Okay. Some of you have. But the reality is they knew that, but they didn't know any of these questions, even about God, let alone knowing God. So who we are, who God is, and our dependence on God. I read it put this way when it comes to our dependence on God. If we are truly Christian, you shall not rely upon the fact you belong to a certain family. You should not boast that you belong to a certain nation or nationality. You should not build upon your natural temperament. You should not believe and rely upon your natural position in life or special powers or gifts and talents that have been given to you. You should not rely upon money or wealth. The thing about which you will boast will not be your education or particular school or college you attended. You should not rely on any gifts like natural personality or intelligence or special ability. You should not even rely on your morality or conduct or good behaviour. Poverty of spirit is to feel that we are nothing, that we have nothing, and we look to God in utter submission to him, in an utter dependence upon him and his grace and his mercy. Only in times of crisis, not only in times of crisis, not only when enemies are coming at us, but all the time. It's about who we are in Christ that matters. We are not worthless because we are worth everything to him. Now, finally, David returns to this urgency that he's all about in this short prayer. God, do not delay. David knew his weaknesses and his need, but he also knew God's grace and greatness. Seeking and finding our help only in the completed work of Christ is not weak faith, it is great faith. We cry out to God, our Heavenly Father, urgently because the need is great. Now, in all our seeking and finding the most obvious place for us to find God in a very special and unique way is at the table that he has left 
for us to remember him, to meet with him. For Christians, this is the place that we come especially close to our Heavenly Father, especially close to Christ. And we feel the Holy Spirit in a very unique way. Because God did answer that prayer for deliverance for David, not only physically, but spiritually as well. The deliverance of which we've been learning and speaking of today is the deliverance that we remember at the table. Through Christ's death and resurrection, those who truly believe and accept and know not only a heavenly home to come, but life here now in this moment here on earth. Just as David could be urgent in his need, but he could be safe in the knowledge of his salvation and trust in God, we too can experience and know that. If that's where you are today, if you live in that tension between the craziness of this world and the salvation you experience in Jesus Christ through your personal relationship with him, then come to the table and receive a fresh and a new from him. If you're not there yet, if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, take this time to pray, to seek him and then seek out a Christian friend, a member of our church staff and we would love to pray with you and for you that you would begin that, truly begin that journey of salvation with him. That's an invitation not only to this table and to this sacrament, but to life itself. Let us pray. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him. And to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Father, as we come to this table, as we remember and we commune with Christ, I pray that you will take these common elements of bread and juice and that through them we may receive from you. Be with us now in what we do and say, for we follow what God you have commanded through Jesus, your Son, and you empower in your spirit. Listen more, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We'd like to invite you to worship with us Sunday mornings at 8.30 or 10.30 a.m. in our sanctuary at 425 Middle Street in Jacksonville. For more information, call 899-1287 or visit our website. Join us next week at this same time for more of Living Water, the teaching ministry of Jacksonville Presbyterian Church.